funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, the migrant crisis on the border continues to trickle into New Jersey. Talk heats up over claims the state could use a former psychiatric hospital to house and process the undocumented. Frankly, we need to stop this onslaught of people just walking in. Um, it, we, shouldn't, it, we shouldn't even be thinking about having to process people here. Plus, social media lawsuit. A year after the suicide death of a 14-year-old, the school district is suing multiple platforms, claiming they're responsible for a mental health crisis among teens. The social media companies are completely, and always have been, completely irresponsible and paying no attention and, in fact, making enormous profits off the suffering of kids. Also, New Jersey cracks down on toll cheats. A new law will now penalize out-of-state drivers for unpaid tolls. It is big money out there. $117 million in unpaid tolls was estimated for 2022. And saving the seals. Rescues are underway as seal stranding season begins. If the weather is a little bit worse, uh, we'll see more strandings. The animals are just getting beat up by the weather. NJ Spotlight News starts right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Monday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. New Jersey's role in the migrant crisis is at the center of a debate after an old state proposal recently resurfaced for a potential site to house and process undocumented migrants who come here. Hunterdon County Commissioner Board Director Jeff Cole last week told county leaders the Murphy administration is considering using the old Hagedorn State Psychiatric Hospital as a processing facility. That caused an uproar among Republicans and many local leaders in the area who argued resources are already stretched thin for the towns around the hospital, with some promoting stances that progressives consider anti-immigration and isolationist. The Murphy administration says there's no such plan or proposal in place, but a senior political correspondent, David Cruz, reports that isn't stopping the political fallout. Ask most anyone running for anything nowadays from either party, and they'll tell you the federal government and Congress are most to blame for the influx of migrants at the border and those getting put on buses that have recently been stopping in New Jersey. But Republicans here are taking the opportunity to, depending on who you ask, take political advantage of the situation or raise the alarm about it impacting the state. This is a failed border uh, policy of this Biden administration. And also our governor, Governor Murphy, has declared us to be a sanctuary state. So our doors are open for people to come here. Assembly Republican leader John DeMeo echoing the Republican line today, reacting, he says, to concerns from Hunterdon County officials to the idea of using the former Hagedorn State Psychiatric Hospital as a potential processing facility for undocumented migrants. Did someone from the state say that this was a pending action? How did this all come about? It was, it was on a, uh, a call 
with mm -hmm. county officials. And with the state they, and the their county. interpretation was this is something that could happen. Now, gotcha. before it could happen, we want answers. The state says no such action is pending and that it was over a year ago that the decommissioned hospital in rural Hunterdon was previously identified as a potential state site should the need arise to shelter a mass group of individuals, not limited to migrants, but also including weather-related events or large-scale emergencies. Immigrants' rights advocates say the state has a responsibility to provide basic services for migrants who show up here, acknowledging the need for a federal solution, but also cautioning against demonizing those most vulnerable. But I think it's really important to note that this is an election year, a presidential election year. And just like years before, where at that time the the talking point in the specter was migrant caravans, right? And before that it was chain migration. And before that it was anchor babies, right? There's always this scary term that people come up with during election cycles to basically pit communities against each other. Residents near the facility and near is a relative term since it's located in a wooded area away from homes or mass transit or emergency services or even a supermarket. They seemed not as alarmed as some of their Republican representatives. Ignoring it's not going to make it go away and we need to work together to fix our immigration policy and maybe if we all had a little skin in the game we would all work a lot faster to make it better. It's been standing empty and it's not being utilized and it's an amazing facility and that it would be better to be used than just to be standing empty. So if they could utilize it to, to accommodate immigrants, I, I'm, I'm all for that. It's not as if New Jersey didn't have its share of unauthorized residents here already and the debate over their impact has already been intense. And with the prospect of more busloads of migrants heading to states like ours, even if they're just passing through, that debate will only intensify in an election year, whether the impact is real or imagined. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. The school district where a 14-year-old student died by suicide after a video of her bullying was spread online is facing fresh scrutiny for filing a lawsuit against social media companies and blaming them for fueling the teen mental health crisis. But parents and students within the Central Regional School District in Ocean County say district leaders are ducking their responsibility and not following through on the changes they promised. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. Social media is terrible. It absolutely is horrible. Jill Heff's daughter attends Central Regional High School where 14-year-old Adriana Kutch died by suicide almost a year ago after classmates here assaulted her, then posted a video of that attack on social media. The district just announced it's suing several platforms, including Meta, formerly known as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, to change how these companies operate and hopefully compel them to take responsibility and make changes changes, said board president Susan Kodrick. Heff's unimpressed. I personally feel they're doing it just to CYA because of what happened with Adriana. 
I, I truly think they're just trying to cover their own butts because, oh, well, you know, well, because she was bullied online. Have still deeply concerned. Her daughter, Emma, was Adriana's friend and says little has changed at school. There's about nine new videos from this year of school fights being posted on Instagram because nobody's stopping them. Kids are recording it in the hallways. Kids are recording arguments with teachers and posting them everywhere. It's bad. It's the same as last year all over again. Studies suggest a virtual epidemic. A student shot this fight video at Central Regional High School in 2021 and posted it on Instagram, a platform run by Meta, which maintains IG and Facebook are safe because Meta enforces its community standards. But an unredacted lawsuit filed by Jersey's Attorney General revealed Meta's internal surveys of 13 to 15 year olds on IG show 27% reported witnessing bullying within the last seven days, almost 11% said they'd been personally targeted. Despite the public claims that the platforms were safe, we found that the company knew that their actions were harmful to children. The company consistently downplays what they actually know about how teens are exposed to harmful content, such as suicide and self-harm content, hate speech, and bullying and solicitation. New Jersey's joined 41 other states in a class action suit demanding accountability. Meanwhile, New Jersey's anti-bullying task force last week released a disturbing report recording the highest levels of harassment, intimidation and bullying reported since the state began collecting information. Almost 7,700 incidents of bullying were confirmed, more than 19,000 incidents reported statewide. The social media companies are completely and always have been completely irresponsible and paying no attention and, in fact, making enormous profits off the suffering of kids. Stuart Green helped write the task force report but wishes it had taken a tougher stand on how school districts handle bullying. He claims it's underreported. The task force report itself, although it has multiple good elements in it, uh, uh, does nothing to create those meaningful consequences for administrators who don't address the issue. Green encourages districts to fight cyberbullying by making students stow away their phones in special locking pouches during school. The Central Regional District distributed phone pockets for students, but enforcement's hardly uniform, Emma says. She's upset. So I knew Adriana personally, and because of everything going on, it's frustrating to me because there were supposed to be changes this year and there's not. I don't like it. We reached out, but Central Regional District officials were unavailable for comment. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. Today marks 51 years since the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling that guaranteed abortion rights in the U.S. The Supreme Court decision legally protected reproductive rights for nearly half a century until it was overturned in June 2022. The Biden administration today marked the anniversary by increasing protections on contraceptives and abortion medications, along with access to abortion care at hospitals. Federal lawmakers also commemorated the day. Congressman Josh Gottheimer held an event outside the New Hope Crisis Pregnancy Center in Bergen County to talk about a letter he sent to the U.S. Health Secretary asking the government to stop federal tax dollars from being used at the centers, which have been accused of being anti-abortion and giving pregnant people false and misleading information when they come to a center seeking one. There are roughly 50 crisis pregnancy centers in New Jersey, according to the group NJ Right to Life. All have denied allegations they intentionally misrepresent their services. 
These so-called pregnancy centers manipulate women in a vulnerable situation and push their own ideological agenda. I'm here today to announce new action to stop taxpayer dollars from funding these so-called crisis pregnancy centers and stop them from actively deceiving women and putting their health at risk. It's plain and simple. These anti-choice centers must be shut down. Big spending by Rutgers University Athletics is once again under the microscope. After financial documents obtained by NJ Advanced Media show, the department is running a $54 million deficit. That's despite record revenue, and it's up about a million dollars from the year before. University leaders have acknowledged on multiple occasions it's the cost of doing business in the Big Ten Conference. The athletic department spending has been a top grievance among union faculty and staff who've long pointed to the university's practice of diverting money from academic priorities to sports. Brian Fonseca is the Rutgers athletic beat reporter for NJ Advanced Media and joins me with his latest reporting. Brian Fonseca, good to have you on the show. So let me ask you first, what's eating up the majority of the athletic department's budget? Yeah, I think the same that's eating up most of athletic department budgets, uh, coaching salaries, administrative salaries, operational salaries of just keeping what is required for big time athletics, you know, maintaining the fields, traveling, recruiting. Um, I would say nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, and look, I think you have to spend a lot of money to keep up with the Joneses in big time football, big time men's basketball. Uh, Rutgers president Jonathan Holloway has said on multiple occasions since he has taken over the position that losing money is part of the deal in college athletics, and he doesn't entirely expect the university to ever become a net neutral in spending with athletics. So is there argument then that the benefits outweigh what ultimately leads to being in the red for many, many years to come um, by having a, a well-known, a prominent athletics department? I mean, what do they say about that? Certainly. I think the argument for any big-time athletic department is that athletics is sort of, in a way, a marketing budget. They are the front porch of the university. Uh, a school spokesperson used that that uh, analogy to me the other day when I asked for a comment on this report. Um, they are. This is a way that it's been visible with the men's basketball program's rise, with uh, the football program going to the Pinterest Bowl this year and having some success. Rutgers is being talked about more and more among people in the sports world across the country, and particularly looking at men's basketball season next year when they have two top five potential NBA picks coming. That will be an even more, uh, it will make Rutgers an even more popular uh, thing talked about among sports fans. The other part of it also is uh, the likelihood that the Revenue they're going to be making being part of the Big Ten with the league expansion will continue to rise. Uh, they made something like $44 million in media rights this year. That is expected to rise to $75 million within the next two years once the Big Ten's current deal becomes actualized. This fiscal year report is from 2022-23. So if not in next year's report, certainly in two years' report, you will see a higher increase in the money uh, received from the Big Ten. So essentially they're wait, waiting on the revenues to translate to what is a long-term goal here by being in the Big Ten. But Brian, I mean, you know as well as I do, obviously the unionized faculty and staff uh, held the university's first ever labor strike last year. A lot of what they were in contention about was the way that the school spends the money. You know, their argument was that they, uh, quote unquote, rob the academics portion to pay for athletics. So how does this square with people on campus? 
Sure, and I think that's been a long-standing battle at Rutgers for you know half a century ever since Rutgers elected to enter the big time of college athletics when they entered into the Big East, when they decided they were not going to be playing in the Patriot League with Lafayette and Lehigh anymore. This has kind of been the rub among the academic side and the athletic side. The athletic department will tell you that, uh, for example, this fiscal year, uh, the money that they spent accounts for 3% of the university's endowment, which is something like $5.6 billion. Um, and the money that they took from the university reserves as a way to cover up the shortfall was a little less than 0.1% of the university's budget. Uh, so I, I, the academic side will continue to use athletics as an argument in their discussions. Uh, I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. And I think that until Rutgers, if they ever make money back on athletics, again, I don't think that's very likely, but until or if we ever reach that point, I think this will be a continuing battle among people at the university that I am sure is happening at universities at this level across the country. Have to agree with you on that one for sure. Brian Fonseca is the Rutgers Athletics beat reporter for NJ Advanced Media. Brian, thanks so much. Thank you for having me, guys. Well, there's a warning for any toll cheats who've crossed through Jersey lines. The state is coming after you. A new law enacted by Governor Murphy earlier this month gives New Jersey tolling agencies the ability to collect fines owed by in and out-of-state drivers by entering into a reciprocity agreement with other states to enforce penalties. So there's no more skirting it even if you don't live here. The stakes are high, according to the Murphy administration. New Jersey is owed more than $100 million by toll cheats. Budget and finance writer John Reitmeyer is here with more details. Hey, John, so you looked into this uh, law that Governor Murphy has now signed. Lawmakers have been looking at this for quite some time. How exactly does the deal work? So the, the big uh, component of this new law is the reciprocity component, the fact that New Jersey either the tolling authorities themselves, and we have to think about uh, the New Jersey Turnpike Authority runs both the Turnpike and the Garden State Parkway. And then in South Jersey, the South Jersey Transportation Authority runs the Atlantic City Expressway. So this would include all of that? Absolutely. And so what this law allows New Jersey to do, either the tolling authorities themselves or the Department of Transportation, if they'd like it, uh, to do it on their behalf, they can set up these agreements with other states and the tolling authorities in those states where it'll kind of be like, will collect or go after uh, your toll cheats while you go after our toll cheats. And it is big money out there. 117 million in unpaid tolls was estimated for 2022, the most recent year where they have complete data for. So you could see why states would want to opt into this. That's a lot of money sitting out there. Has it worked in the past? Do we have any other states' examples to look at? We do, and, and that was one of the reasons lawmakers, the, the sponsors of this legislation as it went through and made it to the governor's desk, were pointing to other states that were able to collect that money. You know, some of that is from our own in-state toll cheats, but right. there's a big portion that, that they're looking at from out of state. And for example, the New York State Thruway, there was a recent audit in New York that showed they had, it was something over a hundred million in uncollected tolls from out of state motorists using that roadway, I'm sure some from New Jersey. So, uh, you know, you could go across the different states and I'm sure you'll see big numbers adding up uh, uh, across the different tolling authorities. What's the impact when people don't pay their tolls? Because we hear a lot of people talk about just how expensive it is, how much more expensive it is to drive uh, through New Jersey toll roads compared to other states. So what's the state missing out on by not being able to collect? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's almost like with 
cheating on taxes is for every dollar that's not paid by someone who's evading a toll that shifts the burden onto those of us who are being charged. And you know, in the case of the Turnpike Authority, for example, it's not just maintaining the Turnpike and the Parkway. The Turnpike Authority is being used as a revenue source these days for NJ Transit. It's covering New Jersey's portion of the new Gateway Tunnel that's being built under the Hudson River. And so when tolls aren't being collected from those who are using the roadways, it's a true user fee, it either shifts that burden onto those of us who, who are paying our tolls or it upsets the finances of, of these types of tolling authorities. So let's say you do owe uh, a lot of tolls to the state, but you don't have the money to pay for it. Are they considering that in all of this? Well, one interesting element of this new law uh, quickly is it did create an amnesty program where if you owe more than $500, uh, so, so not just somebody who's missed one or two tolls, sure. but if you have a pretty big toll debt added up, for a period of time, there will be a up to 25% forgiveness offered. So maybe an incentive there to try to collect some of these back tolls, but certainly hardships, you know, for people who are using the roadways and, and can't afford it. That's something, that's a sort of a bigger issue that would have to be considered. Yeah, for sure. All right, John Reitmeyer, uh, great reporting. Thanks for sharing it. You're welcome. On Wall Street, stocks rallied to start the week. Here's how the markets closed today. time of year, New Jersey welcomes some seasonal guests along the shore, and one group is working overtime to protect them. Seals travel to our area to wait for warmer waters up north, and experts from the Marine Mammal Stranding Center say for various reasons, the animals are at increased risk of getting stranded here during winter months. Ted Goldberg visited with the team who keeps their eyes and ears on the water, looking for distressed seals to get them back home. It might not sound like it, but three seals are on the road to recovery at the Marine Mammal Stranding Center in Brigantine. Nice easy start to the season, um, kind of gets us in the groove until um, things start getting crazy, um, depending on the, on the, the year. Uh, if the weather's a little bit worse, uh, we'll see more strandings. The animals are just getting beat up by the weather. Stranding coordinator Jay Pagel says these seals were stranded away from their friends and family and needed to be rescued. Just like some New Jersey beachgoers who enjoy seeing them, the seals start heading south just before winter. So we're in the middle of stranding season. Our seal season usually starts uh, late November, uh, beginning of December, and then it'll extend right through about May or June uh, when the seals stop coming in. Uh, they're seasonal, so they come down here for the winter, and then they'll head back north uh, when the, the water starts warming up. The number of seals under their care can vary a lot. Since the center responds to roughly 130 miles of oceanfront coast, and sometimes they respond to other states. A few years back, we had uh, one season where we responded to 15 animals in one day, uh, physically laid hands on 11 of them. Um, and then the following year, we had a total of 15 animals admitted in the rehab. Pagel says more seals are becoming stranded in New Jersey because there are more of them to begin with. They were hunted almost to extinction. Uh, then they gained protection back in the early 70s, and since then their numbers have been uh, multiplying. They've been doing really good uh, as far as breeding stock. Uh, nice, nice, healthy population, and uh, just growing, and they're, they're coming back into the areas that they used to be historically 
Uh, historically, back in the 17, 1800s, they were abundant here almost year-round. While the seals don't have names, they have compelling stories. This harbor seal was bitten by a shark and swam away. The stranding center scooped him up on Christmas Day on LBI. So he's got a deep laceration across his hip, and he's got corresponding bite marks on the opposite side on his, on his left hip as well. Pagel says he can go free in a few weeks. Until then, he'll be well fed. This is our cape one. It's a small smelt-type fish. Uh, not very high in fat, but it's something that they, uh, these guys are used to eating in the North Atlantic. And he'll use these tanks to swim and regain his strength, with trained professionals watching how he recovers and naps. Pagel says the center's volunteers are good at spotting seals in distress, compared to seals just loafing around. Years of experience basically is how we basically determine how, you know, if, they're, if they need help or not. Um, in most cases, it's pretty obvious. You'll see discharge from their eyes, their mouth, their nose. If they're sick, you'll see that they're underweight. Uh, if they have obvious injuries, uh, we see that quite a bit, uh, either from shark bites or propeller wounds or other injuries that they get from climbing up on rocks. Once the seals are released back into the wild, they can cover a lot of ground, or ocean, quickly. They can cruise around 30 miles an hour um, if they really wanted to. Generally, they don't move that quickly, but they can. Um, and they're also covering a lot of ground, like these little gray seals, they're being born up around New England, and they're coming down here swimming, you know, anywhere from three to 800 miles uh, just to get here. Um, and these little gray seals are just a few weeks old. The center says if you see seals on the beach, you should admire them from a distance, preferably 50 yards. And if you think a seal might need some help, give the center a call. In Brigantine, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. And that does it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation. NJM Insurance Group has been serving New Jersey businesses for over a century. As part of the Garden State, we help companies keep their vehicles on the road, employees on the job, and projects on track. Working to protect employees from illness and injury, to keep goods and services moving across the state. We're proud to be part of New Jersey. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered.